Our scripture passage is from the Gospel of Luke, and it's printed on the insert in your bulletin. Listen now to God's holy and inerrant word. He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, We ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your incredible goodness to us. Uh, you have given to us a solid rock in the Lord Jesus Christ. You have also blessed us in this life with everything we need. And so we return to you from uh, what you have first given to us, our tithes and our gifts and our offerings. And our prayer is that you would use these gifts, um, that you would use them for your glory in this world in order that your kingdom would be advanced upon this earth, in order that the wonderful good news of the gospel would be proclaimed to all the nations. And Father, we, we pray now that that same good news, the wonderful good news of the gospel, would be proclaimed to us as we come to sit beneath your word. And our prayer is that you would meet us where we are, that you would meet us in our anxiousness, that you would meet us in our happiness, in our weariness, in our doubts, in our skepticism, that you would meet us in our fears and in our bitterness, that you would meet us in our comfort, meet us in all our many contradictions. Meet those of us who are very, very good and those of us who are very, very bad. Meet us in our beauty, meet us in our brokenness, we pray. Father, however we come this morning, we pray that what we would learn this morning again and anew is that we really are all the same. Because we are all far more broken than we can even imagine. And so together we need to hear of the hope of the good news of the gospel. We need to know that it can be true that we can be far more broken than we can imagine. And at the same time, because of Jesus, that we can be far more loved, far more secure, far more accepted than we ever dreamed possible. And so we pray as we approach your word this morning, you would help us with the eyes of faith to see our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we do pray. Amen. Please be seated. <coughs> 
children uh, this morning, uh, ages three to six, they're dismissed to the back of the church for children's church. Um, We are continuing our series uh, this morning through the stories of the kingdom in Luke's gospel. And what I'm calling the stories uh, of the kingdom are these stories that Jesus told and that we often refer to as parables uh, in the Gospels. And these stories that Jesus told, right, they're windows into the nature and the principles of Jesus' kingdom. And in that passage that we read earlier, Jesus tells us this story about a shut door and people banging on the door to get inside. And if you read through that passage, um, it seems pretty harsh. Seek, and you will not find. Knock, and the door will not be open to you, is what Jesus is saying in that story. Now, even though he's saying those things, I, I, what I hope to show you this morning in this passage is that Jesus is actually telling us what to do to get into his kingdom, to get inside of his kingdom. He's telling us what we must do to make sure that we enter his kingdom. Now, listen, I saw uh, this past week that the Oscars are on TV tonight. Um, I I don't know if you're into that. I'm not really all into that, but I do know this. As fascinating as it is to watch that show and see who wins what awards, um, you, you and I know this. A considerable amount of time and attention will be given to who was at the awards shows, right? Because... I don't know the exact schedule, but I can almost promise you that about three hours before the Oscars even start on some channel somewhere, they'll be watching people walk on the red carpet and talking about who is going to the Oscars, right? Who's in attendance? As the show's going on, you'll constantly see this if you watch it. The camera will pan across the audience, right? They want you to see who is at this party, who's there, you know, tomorrow morning. The TV news programs, the Today Show, the what, whatever the shows are, the news programs, they're going to give considerable time and attention to who was at the Oscars and who was with who, right? Who was dating who, whatever. Um, now, you know, if, if you're not into the Oscars and that kind of misses you, you know, disconnect or whatever, I, w- I want you to think about this. What if you found out this morning that all your friends got together on Friday night and had a party? And you weren't invited. You know, when that when you learn something like that, all of a sudden you're very, very interested in who was at that party. Right. Who got invited? Which of your friends were in attendance? Who who from outside of the the regular group was invited in? We want to know who. Why weren't we included in that party? Right. Why did they get an invitation and we didn't? We care a whole lot about who gets invited. This man In our passage in verse 23, he asked Jesus a question about how many people will be saved. And at first, it might look like Jesus is dodging this man's question, right? He didn't really give this man a straight answer, right, uh, about the number of people who would be saved. Instead, Jesus, see, he's pushing beyond this man's question to a deeper, to a more urgent and more important question. Jesus said basically this. Let's talk about who gets invited to this feast in verse 29. Right? Who will be reclining in the seats 
of honor on that day? Who, who is going to be enjoying and delighting at that feast? Who's going to be safe and secure? Who's going to be inside and around that family table? And see, here's how I want to deal with uh, this passage this morning. I want to attempt, attempt to be direct with you in much the same way that I think Jesus was being direct to his audience here. And I want to do that by framing our entire discussion around this question. Will you be in Jesus's kingdom? Or if you like, will you be invited to this party in verse 29? Because you see, I think that is really the deeper question that Jesus is seeking to answer here. And Jesus' answer is, is this, that you will be in his kingdom only if you are known by the master and only if you enter through the narrow door. So those are our two points this morning. Will you be in the kingdom only if you are known by the master and only if you enter through the narrow door? So first, only if you're known by the master will you enter Jesus' kingdom, right? Verse 25, when the door has been shut and those outside are knocking, Jesus says that the master will answer this. I do not know where you come from. I mean, that's his way of saying, I don't know you. I don't have a relationship with you, right? And, and after more pleading in verse 27, it gets even stronger. I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me. All you evildoers. Look, the knowledge that Jesus is talking about in this story and in this passage, he is talking about a close, personal, intimate knowledge. I mean, do you notice how, what those people, how those people object to what Jesus says in this story in verse 26? They say, but Jesus, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. They're saying, how can you say you don't know us, Jesus? How can you say that we were with you, not against you? We partied with you, Jesus. Right? We were, we were in close fellowship with you. I mean, in this culture, to share a meal with someone was to be in very, very close fellowship with someone. They're saying, we were there. We were with you. They were saying, Jesus, we were front row people. I mean, we showed up every time you were teaching. We listened to your sermons. They listened to Jesus' sermons. But Jesus says to them, but you didn't know me. You didn't know me personally and intimately. You know, there's a very similar um, passage to this in Matthew chapter 7 where Jesus said this. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? And then Jesus says this. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Depart from me, all you evildoers. I mean, these chilling, right, severe words of Jesus in Matthew and in Luke. Jesus was saying to those people in Matthew's gospel, you, he was saying, you use the right name. You knew your theology. You called me Lord. You knew that I was God in the flesh. But even more than that, you, you notice how they said, Lord, Lord. I mean, what, what Jesus is saying, you were emotionally engaged with who I was. I mean, that's the reason for the doubling of the name, for emphasis like that. But even more than that, 
These people were doing ministry in Jesus' name. They were performing miracles and they were casting out demons and they were proclaiming the kingdom. And Jesus says, leave. You are not welcome in my house. The door is shut to you. I never knew you. That's chilling. Every scholar agrees that when this man, and we're back in Luke now. Every scholar agrees that this man in Luke chapter 13, that when he asked Jesus about those who would be saved, that he was asking that question out of a certain assumption. And that assumption was, of course the Israelites will be saved. Of course all of us Jews will be saved. Jesus, I've heard you talking about your kingdom. Will more than just us be saved? Surely we are in. Surely the invitation's in the mail, right? You know, we are the good guys. We're the insiders. The law and the promises were given to us. We are the morally upright. We are the theologically accurate. We are the traditional and the conservative. And I hope you hear this brought into our own culture, right? We filled our heads with knowledge. Right? We know the right answers. We served on committees and we gave our money and we told our kids about Jesus. We were in church and we listened to Jesus speak week in and week out. Right? And Jesus is saying this to you this morning and to me. You can know a lot about me and not know me. You can do a lot of things in my name and not know me. You can feel a certain way about me and still not know me. You know, the saying goes, it's not what you know, it's who you know, right? And we all know what that little saying means, right? To know and be known by the right person gives you access. And to use the imagery of this story that Jesus tells here, to know and be known by the right person, that's what opens doors. You can know and be familiar with Jesus and who He was and what He came to do and still not know Him. Knowing and being known, that's the one thing that matters according to Jesus. I was visiting a friend this past week in his office, and um, I went to his office, and I noticed on his wall he had this display case uh, set up with all kinds of things in it. And um, upon closer inspection, I realized that all of this memorabilia was from President Bush's inaugural ball in 2005. Um, And so I asked him, I know you. How in the world did you get invited to that? Um, You know, I, I, I mean... You know, because obviously not everyone gets invited to that. Not everyone can attend that. And here was this guy who is not necessarily a supporter, definitely not a financial contributor, um, but he got invited to that ball. And so, of course, he told me he knew the right person, right? The right someone knew him, and he got an invitation. It's not what you know. It's who you know and who knows you. That matters. Will you get in the kingdom? Jesus says. Only if you're known. 
by the master. But before we move on, and we'll move on in just a second, let me take one step further in or deeper in here. Because think about it. When Jesus is talking about knowledge here, being known by him, he is putting his finger on your deepest need and desire in life. Namely this, that you and I are hungry, that we are desperate, that we are craving and longing to know and to be known. Nothing gets more central to our humanity than that. Right? That longing, it is just, it's written into our DNA. It's nestled into the very core of our humanity. My wife tells me that uh, intimacy means into me see. Right? A little way of, uh, of remembering what intimacy means. Right? Look into me. See and know the real me, right? That's intimacy. And I'm telling you, that's what we hunger for. That's what we want. We so desperately want to be able to let our guard down and to be ourselves with someone, to know and to be known, to have someone see us as we are. Deep down, we know that that is the only thing that could make us whole, that could fulfill us, that could satisfy us, that could complete us. Deep down, we know. That is the only thing that could truly rescue us and save us. But here's the problem. Your deepest desire and your deepest need is also your greatest fear and your greatest nightmare. We crave knowing and being known. But what if someone saw the real you? All the bent and twisted and broken desires of your heart. What if someone knew all of that about you? Right? What if someone saw you as you are and saw all your warts and all your wounds and all your fears and all your your scars and all your pettiness? Right? All your insecurity. Right? All your deep narcissism in your life. What if someone saw that? The fear that you and I live with is that if anyone saw that and saw us as we really are, they would run as far and as fast as they could to get away from us. And so though you crave it and know it's the only thing that could make you whole, you cannot bear for anyone to see into you as you really are. Because listen, if your worst fears are ever realized, It doesn't just leave you the same. It would confirm all your deepest suspicions about yourself. Namely this, that if you are truly known, you would also be found to be truly and deeply unlovable. And that is terrifying. So here's what we do. We do everything in our power to avoid being known. Sure, we do it in all of our human relationships, right? We spin the truth. We shift the blame, right? We keep people at an arm's length, right? We, we get really, really good at this. We're like magicians, you know? Keep your eye on the ball, you know? You don't know what I'm doing with my other hand, you know? We're, we're, high, we're showing you this, 
but we're hiding who we really are, right? Don't look at me, right? Look at how we raise our kids. Don't look at me. Look at the things I'm involved in. Look at how much I know. Pay attention to my successes and my achievements. Just do not look directly at me. And just like we do it with one another all the time, we want to avoid being known by God. And sometimes you do this rebelliously, right? You run to sex, or you run to alcohol, or you run to porn, or you run to intense self-centeredness and greed, and on and on we could go. But sometimes, actually a lot of the time, we use religion to avoid being known by God. I have this friend who says that one of the best ways to avoid Jesus is to avoid sin. You know, bank your identity upon and bolster your sense of worth on your uprightness, on your conservatism, on your morals, on your theological knowledge. And it's a great way to ever really deal with Jesus personally. It's a, it's a great way to avoid dealing with Jesus personally. Jesus says, you will not get into my kingdom unless you are known by the master. You know, this, is a, this really is a hard question to ask a room full of church-going Southerners this morning. But I'm begging you to answer this question honestly this morning. Does the master know you? Or do you just know about the master? It's a big question. An important question. Let me leave you hanging there for, for a moment. We move on. Second. Uh, second, will you be in Jesus' kingdom? Only if you're known by the master, yes. But also, Jesus is saying, only if you enter through the narrow door. I have no idea who, um, who first coined the phrase, uh, comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Um, but I do know that it has been used to describe the ministry often, that that's what we do. We afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted. So, listen, in my first point, my aim, much as I think Jesus' aim was, was to afflict the comfortable. To make you ask the question about your comfort. Do you have any real good reason to be comfortable this morning? But in this point, I do want to move forward and I want to move towards those who are afflicted. So back to verse 24. You see, I couldn't have started there, right? Had to, had to bait you. You got to hang on to it. Uh, 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 wait for the good news. Jesus said to these people in verse 24, strive to enter through the narrow door. Jesus is saying here, he's saying, you have to squeeze your way in. You have to make every effort, right? You have to muster all your strength to squeeze and to get through this tight, narrow door. Because listen, the way to fullness, the way to largeness, right? The, the, the way to this grand big feast is through narrowness, actually. And it sounds strange to say that and even to hear it, that the way to fullness is through narrowness. But you already know this. You practice this all over your life, right? The word Jesus uses for strive there, it's a word that comes from the world of athletics, right? And, and, and it's talking about intense exertion, right? Like would be used to train for an athletic competition. So, so you say to yourself, man, I am so out of shape. I say this to myself quite often. Um, I, I'm, I'm just tired of being tired. I feel so lethargic, right? I, I need more energy. I need more stamina. So what might you do? You get real narrow. You get real regimented with your diet 
and with your exercise. Because intuitively you know that the way to fullness goes through narrowness. Right? So you, you, you start thinking, we, we need more flexibility with our finances, right? So what do you do? You get tight with your budget and you watch every penny and you pay off debts, right? You tighten up because the way to fullness is through narrowness. You want more opportunities to advance in your career. You have to get narrow. You have to get focused. You have to prioritize. You have to get disciplined because the way to fullness always goes through narrowness. Jesus is saying, strive. Exert effort, sweat, and strain to get through the narrow door. Because the only way to the feast and to the fullness goes through that very narrow door. And so you see, and you see in this story, in this passage, how it opens up, right? It sounds very grim at first in this passage. The door to the master's house is shut. In the end of verse 24, Jesus is saying, many will seek and not be able to enter. But you squeeze through that narrow door and you see how large it becomes by the end of the passage, right? Verse 28, the patriarchs and the, par- and, and, and the prophets, they'll be inside. And in the verse 29, he says, there will be people coming from the north, from the south, from the east, from the west. All over the place to get to this feast. Strive to get through this narrow door because the way to fullness goes through narrowness. So let me tell you just two things about this narrow door and why you have to strive to enter it. First, you have to strive to get through it because it is so narrow that only one person at a time can get through it. Right? You cannot get into this kingdom in a group or merely by association with others. See, this Jewish man, he assumes that he will get in because he is Jewish. He is a part of the chosen nation of Israel that's referred to so many times in the Old Testament, right? This group of people who possess God's word, his law, his promises. But Jesus is saying you will never get in by, through association. Right? It's a narrow door. And I love, <clears throat> I love that you're here this morning at Grace Community Church. You should be here. And your friends should be here. This is where you come to hear about the narrow door. But I can promise you this. You cannot squeeze through this door that Jesus is talking about simply by association with the church. It's tight and only one at a time can squeeze through. You, you individually and personally have to come through that door if you're going to be in the kingdom. But second, this door is narrow, so narrow that you have to squeeze through it with nothing, with nothing in your hands. It's too tight to take anything with you. And as strange as this may sound to you, I can't think of anything that could, could take more exertion, more sweat, more struggling, and more effort for us than this. Because, listen, to say this is an assault to everything you hold dearest in this life. Because Jesus is saying that you cannot get through this door while clutching your treasure. You have to drop it and squeeze through. There is no room for you and your resume of obedience. There is no room for you and your merits of your good theology. There is no room for you and your traditional conservative values. There is no room for you and your list of achievements and activity. The one thing you need to get through that door is nothing is what Jesus is saying. The one thing you need to get through this door, Jesus is saying, is nothing. And the problem for us is that so few of us have it. It's a narrow door. And the only way to squeeze through it is with nothing. <clears throat> right now you're thinking, 
where's the comfort? This sounds like more affliction stuff. Um, I get that. It's an assault to our pride. But if you think about it from this vantage point with me, if what Jesus is saying here is true, and I think it is, um, then this means that it really and truly does not matter who you are or what you have done or where you have been. You could be very, very good or very, very bad this morning. You could be very, very religious or very, very secular this morning. You could be very, very knowledgeable or not know anything about the Bible. And if this is true, what Jesus is saying, it means you can get into this kingdom as long as you check it all at the door. And this is good news. Because that is real freedom. This, when you get this, this is when the pressure of performance falls away. Look, I mentioned this earlier when we started, but you know, this man in this passage, he asked Jesus this question, and it almost looks like Jesus is dodging his question, right? He's answering it indirectly. If you read through the Gospels, Jesus is always doing this. It's like you never get a straight answer out of Jesus, um, is what it seems like. There's another story where he does this with this rich young ruler, right? And this rich young ruler comes and he says, this was his question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? That's, that's awesome. What, what? And then all of a sudden, Jesus looks like he is the worst evangelist in the world. Because if, if your friend came to you and asked you that, you would say, oh, believe in Jesus, he died on the cross. Jesus didn't do that, and that's Jesus himself. No, what he did was he rattled off a bunch of commandments for this guy. You know, this guy can't shop back at Jesus. He says, all of these I have kept since I was a boy. Okay. This is the shocker of that story. And it's all in Luke chapter 18. You can read it. The shocker of that story is that Jesus didn't argue with him. Jesus accepted his resume. He's like, good. You've kept all these commandments since you were a boy. It's shocking. And then Jesus said to him this, one thing you lack. One thing you lack, right? Go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And the story says that this man could not do it. He could not follow Jesus. He came to Jesus happy. But so many times in the Gospels, People come to Jesus sad, and they leave happy. This man came to Jesus happy, and he left sad. Friends, one thing, one thing and one thing only is required of you to get into the kingdom. And it's that you would see your desperate need of Jesus and rest upon him. If you are holding on to the treasure of your wealth or your obedience or your theology or your activity, you will always come to Jesus happy and leave sad. So strive, Jesus says, exert every bit of energy, fight with yourself, do whatever it takes to drop your treasure. And then you will come to Jesus empty and leave filled every time. In John chapter 10, Jesus said this. I 
am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go out and find pasture. How many will be saved, this man asks. Drop that question and come to Jesus. Because listen, if you do, you can be guaranteed that your worst nightmares and your worst fears will never be realized. And your deepest dreams, desires, and hopes will come true. Because listen, only if you come through Jesus clinging only to him and what he has done for you in his life, death, and resurrection, only then will you find that you are known through and through and you are loved through and through completely. That's what the gospel says to you this morning. Jesus knew you through and through. The very passage we read this morning said that Jesus was journeying on his way to Jerusalem. He knew you so well, he knew he had to go to Jerusalem. He had to go to Jerusalem to die. Everything that you try to keep hidden, he knew it. And that's why he went to the cross. Because you really are that twisted, that bent, and that broken. So broken that God himself had to come and die for you. But you have to see this at the same time. That knowing you, he so loved you that God himself came down to die for you. Let me give you just real quick three ways that this good news will transform you. What will happen to you if your deepest dreams and hopes come true in the gospel? One, if you, are no, if you know and are known by God through Jesus like this, you are free from the opinions of everyone around you and even from yourself. Look, so often we give the opinions of others way too much weight in our lives. And likewise, we give our own opinions of ourselves way too much weight. The Apostle Paul, this is one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3, he says that because of the gospel, this is what he says, I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. And then he says this, indeed, I do not even judge myself. The weight of God's verdict that you are known completely and loved completely, it will set you free from the opinions of others and even from your opinions of yourself. And that's unbelievably good news. Second, what will happen to you if your deepest dreams and hopes come true in the gospel? Outside of Jesus, listen, all your obedience is treated as leverage. Right? You are trying to twist God's arm. Put him in your debt. God, you owe me a good life now. You owe me a reward for my obedience. You owe me your smile because look how I have lived. But listen to me. If you are loved apart from your obedience, and if you are loved through Jesus' perfect obedience then you can finally start moving towards really obeying God. Not to twist his arm, but simply out of love for him. Because his gift to you in Jesus, it can never be forfeited by your failures. 
And it also can never be improved upon by your successes. This frees you to a new kind of obedience from the heart. Finally, when your deep need to know and be known is met in the gospel, you're free to move towards one another in real, authentic, transparent relationships. See, we started our community groups this winter. um, And I, I hope you know that we did not start those just to start a program. Oh, we feel like we need to do a program. Let's do community groups. That sounds good. That's not why we started those. We started those because we believe that deep down, we were made to know and be known both by God and by others. And we believe that when we know and are known by God and also loved by God, that it completely sets us free to know and be known by others. And just like, just like knowing and being known by God has the power to heal us, knowing and being known by others has the power to undo all kinds of brokenness in our lives. It is through these relationships, relationships that we are continually pushed back to the gospel, pushed back to Jesus, pushed back to Him to see That our deepest need in life is to be known and to be loved. And in Jesus, we are just that. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you even for hard and harsh and difficult passages such as these. Because we thank you for the way that Jesus so clearly compels us and urges us to get inside His kingdom. Father, I pray for all of us that we would see this morning that there is a difference in knowing about You and being known by You. Father, do whatever You have to in our lives, we pray. Strip everything away. Everything we hold dear in this life, everything we treasure in order that we might strive to get through and squeeze through that narrow door. To come to Jesus with absolutely nothing. Because only when we come through Jesus can we be known and be loved. And we do pray that this good news The good news that some are hearing for the first time and the good news that some of us are reminded of this morning. We pray that it would be worked out in our lives, that it would lead us to a new and deeper obedience, that it would free us from the opinions of others and even ourselves, and that it would move us into deeper and deeper relationships with one another. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.